0: What's going on, guys? Um, I'm Avi Shemtov, who you can't see. I got my hair cut and everything for this, and then you can't see me. I'm off camera. We've had some technical difficulties. Appreciate you guys sticking with us. Um, if there's one thing my wife taught me, by the way, when you go Facebook Live, is she's like, even though it takes a minute for people to jump on, talk like it's not because it's going to sit on the page. So my cooking thing I do on Sunday mornings, I, like, sit and wait for people, and then she's like, this, now no one's going to watch it after <laughs> yeah. So this is going to be on Sharon right Community in. TV um, and you guys are going to get all the spotlight because you're the ones on camera, so that's cool. Today with me, I've got Ted Phillips and yeah, Andrew Flowers, yeah. our two candidates uh, who are for, running for the – this is the primary, right? Running for the yeah. Democratic uh, nod to yeah. be our state rep. Um, I guess I'll start out actually real quick, just for a point of clarification. Is there a Republican candidate? No.
1: No Republican so, that we know.
0: So, so uh, at the moment, this is it.
1: This is for all the marbles. Right.
0: So at one moment, like the Democrat, it, yeah. the Democrat nod is, is for all the marbles, which is cool. So either way, it's gonna be one of you two. Hopefully, you know, God willing, and uh, that's awesome. So uh, welcome, guys. Thank Thank you for for having
1: us. Great to be here.
0: Appreciate you guys. Um, Yeah, so we were just talking a a little bit about pizza and ice cream, but I guess now, like, we we can dig into some more, uh, some less uh, industry-specific stuff for me, um, and maybe more a little bit, like some some still like part of my life, small business stuff. what do you guys think softball here early uh, as far as like the, or I guess maybe not a softball, the phases right now we're sort of in phase three. There's talk about dialing back. Uh, Where are you guys at as far as like whether that needs to happen, as far as whether or not you feel like um, the phases made sense as far as like what was happening in each phase um I, th- I don't know who wants to jump in first go for it Andrew, i think the
2: phases made sense okay uh phase three uh made me a little uneasy in early july just with gyms and movie theaters and no offense to you Avi, but even indoor restaurant dining right so Simca's
0: not i haven't opened yeah. a single indoor so that's no yeah. offense to me yeah yeah you know. i hear what you mean but yeah. that's no
2: offense to me that may be a little uneasy but you know with the case counts kind of tracking higher yep. um i think it's warranted to dial it back to phase two i mean the are not the seven day uh positive test rate are all kind of creeping upwards and uh that concerns me
1: yeah i mean you know this is like trying to feel your way around in the dark you right know, you're trying to set these goals we've never been here before middle of a pandemic um you know i think that the the original guidelines in, you know phase two phase three they're you know they're well-intentioned but you know we're now in phase three we're looking around um, it turns out that a lot of people didn't go back into restaurants. You know, um, my wife, Bridget, works over at McGuire's in Easton, right? And so she, uh, you know, she was saying that a lot of people still happy to happy to dine outdoors, happy to do takeout, they're, they're not even comfortable coming back in. And I think that's probably the right call. We're looking at, you know, Rhode Island now ticking up, you know, and unfortunately on Friday, you know, Rhode Island's going on the, you know, they're going off the safe list. Right. And so to have a, a, a state so close to home that is looking at sort of the same um, – the same dynamics that we do you know you're looking at Rhode Island you're assuming the uptick is coming from the beaches you know uh, that's that's my guess we've got the same thing going on Cape Cod people coming out coming to the Cape to to vacation so you know my fear is that we're not far behind on those numbers and so we're seriously gonna have to look at going back to phase two dialing back and just playing it safe because I'd much rather be much rather be safe you know err on the side of caution than than the other way around yeah
0: so for me I felt like um, when I say like did the phases make sense? No. I mean, it's like, there felt like there wasn't always rhyme and reason. So, for example, like, as a restaurant owner, we were forced into out only at one point, and that made a lot of sense to me. And at the same time, like, certain things were forced to close yep. that, you know, again, made sense to me. Things like salons and stuff like that. Yeah. And, and then, all of a sudden, like, we went to outdoor dining as part of phase two, and then within two weeks, all of a sudden, there was indoor dining, But there were restrictions still like they were just getting salons and haircuts back over. And to me, I was like indoor dining feels way more last face than, say, haircuts. Um, And to me, like when I say like now we're going to dial back, I, I would like what I would love to see. And I don't know how you guys feel about this. I would love to see like don't return to what phase two was. Let's pick and choose. What needs to dial back? Like, I don't think haircuts need to change. I think they're doing a great job with what they need to do. Massage therapists, dentist's office. Maybe you do dial back to only outdoor dining in restaurants. Um, even takeout only. Uh, maybe you do start looking at like town parks being limited again. Like, all you know, there was a time where you couldn't play on the playground or shoot hoops, and now you got towns like uh, in our town here, every single night. It's, no, it's just like it was when I was growing up. There's 30 kids playing hoop. Yeah. And, like, I don't know that that is the safe way to go, especially when we're talking about schools open, which we'll jump to in a second. Mm-hmm. But so, so when I ask if it makes sense, what I mean is, like, we seem to have accepted these just, like, blanket chunks. And I'm like, why dial back just a phase? How about instead pick and choose industry-specific stuff sure.
1: that needs to— that maybe like we agree that that's not the safe play.
2: Yeah, we should take a, a go ahead.
1: Uh, I was just gonna say, hopefully you got the you know now that we're in phase three, hopefully we can start collecting some of that data. You know, am sure. Looking where the high rates of transmission are. If, right. If, if people, if we're not, you know, if we're not seeing high rates of transmission in the hair salons, meaning that the employees, you know, who are cutting you're cutting the hair, if they're not catching COVID, then it's likely that it's not being transmitted through the hair salons. Right. So you know, if if that's safe, then we can keep those open. If we are seeing higher transmission from other stuff then that's when you di- those are the areas that you dial back on.
2: Right. It, it's, it makes sense to take a data-driven iterative approach, a phased approach, if in the background we're also te- increasing testing capacity um, and we're you know, really putting a lockdown on the R-naught, on the virus transmission rate. And uh, unfortunately, while I give the governor credit for this phased iterative approach, I don't think the testing capacity is where it is
0: uh, to make me comfortable going uh, either forward or even staying in phase three. So I'm with you there. I actually think that that's a really interesting point is that maybe some of the phase stuff should be more tied to our ability to what if uh, than anything else. So like you said, like with testing, it's like you can just going phase by phase based on what we see in that phase feels very much Like, instead of using a stud finder, drilling holes in the wall. And so you're like, well, I hit a stud. I think I'm about six feet. Oh, I put a hole in my wall. And that feels, it feels very much like, right, we didn't go, oh, good, we now can do all this testing and we can make this happen. Instead, we kind of just, we said, hey, this is working out so far. And by the way, nationally, specifically in Massachusetts, it's been, in my opinion, this is even worse. People are going, well, things have been so good. I guess yeah. we're really – good. I keep hearing yeah. people say to me, we're not Florida. We're not yeah. Florida. But, like, dude, you see Deborah? Like, yeah. they're, they're, you guys see Deborah Sam. Like, what do you mean we're not Florida? Like, I see 30 kids playing shirts and skins right. every single night. Uh, we just had, like, a house party in town, caused, like, eight infections. So I'm like, we're not Florida? Like, in what, in what way are we not Florida? It, it takes time, but we're starting to see those numbers creep up. And, you know, Rhode Island, you saw those beaches just get packed and packed. A lot of times with Massachusetts residents. Yep. Um, and now they're all of a sudden going to go on that list. Uh, You know, to me, it just feels like we're pretty much right behind them.
1: Well, the other problem that we're seeing, you know, you're talking about the the testing capacity and how, you know, we we keep adding uh, requirements for testing, but we're not, you know, the testing capacity isn't even keeping up with the requirements that we're adding on. I mean, we're about, you know, we'll get into the schools in a minute and talk about that, but the, you know, right now, just to go on vacation, you know, if you want to go up to Maine, you want to go somewhere out of state, you know, if you've got a place out of state, you still have to get, you know, a a COVID test. there's a family uh, from Stoughton who I know who um, they ha- they were going up to Maine last week. They went to Needham because that's the only place in the area that was doing the rapid COVID test. You know, the, um, the ones that you can find out in 15 minutes rather than in six days. Um, and they, they went up to Needham. They had to get in line at five o'clock to get a test at eight o'clock. And like, I think the three people behind them, no luck, out of luck for the day. I mean, and you shouldn't brutal. have to be getting up and going to Needham at five in the morning to get a test, like this is this is insane. We have to we have to do better, it and we're just not there yet. Yeah. It's it's bad enough
2: that we potentially, I hope not, but r- risk the potential reopening of schools to uh, reopen casinos and bars, while at the same time that's bad enough. While at the same time, not having the testing capacity, so um, there needs to be a reckoning. I think, and I think it starts with going back to phase two, realizing that we're seeing uh, worrisome trends with the yep. test positivity rate, uh, with the R naught, and Uh, Again, take a um, data-driven, science-based approach, whether it's schools, whether it's the overall business reopening, and put public health first, right? And and frankly, the governor, um, I don't think, did a great job in terms of uh, his advisory council having representation from um, uh, labor, having representation from uh, disadvantaged groups that kind of gave input in the early phases of forming this reopening plan. Um, They've learned from that a bit. But going forward, we're going to need a wide set of stakeholders, a wider set than it was before,
1: to give input to the governor.
0: I think that makes a lot of sense. What do you think about the governor's advisory
1: board yeah, as far as how I, it's composed? I, I'm in complete agreement. We, you know, we've talked about this. You know, labor had, didn't have a seat at the table, and you know, in order to get a good, you know, a good plan about how to how to come back, you got to listen to your frontline people. You got to listen to the people on the ground. You know, our nurses, our teachers, you know, our firefighters. They, you know. All of them to a man say you know we weren't consulted in this stuff you know the the governor put together a group of basically business owners and they put together you know he, he did reach out you know in the medical community it was the hospital owners and things like that all, all the upper management and I think that's fine, but you know at some point, you got to hear from the, from the people on the ground. This is one of those things where, you know, when we finally get through this, one of the things that I've been talking about is when we do the after-action report. You know, when we talk about what we got right and what we got wrong, it's one of the reasons why the House and the Senate have to do the after-action report because we saw that voices got left out, and we need to make sure the voices get brought in. You know what I mean? And we need to figure out what we did right and what we did wrong at, once, we, once we get through this. Again, we're, we're still in the thick of it, so yeah. you got to go... You know, we got to get through this first. But when we get through this, we got to plan for the next one and we got to make sure that all the voices are heard because they weren't heard you
0: know, I, in planning this. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, this is the nice thing about Facebook Live. I'm getting like real time <laughs> feedback from someone who said, just uh, your mic, mic might be a little move? soft, so just know a little uh, louder. Than the mic. Yeah, closer. I just want to make sure they there can you know. hear great points like that. Um, yeah, I see that in the comments. Uh, yeah. By the way, like, that's, like, I think that's, I think you're both, I hear you about labor being yeah. on it. It's weird for me being in the restaurant industry. Because so many people that are in the restaurant industry aren't good at figuring out what's good for the restaurant industry. So it's been (laughs) weird because, like, so the restaurant industry has been beating that drum to, like, open, 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 open without realizing the economic impact of their own. Like, if they could figure out takeout, they would be better off than now having empty in. I haven't heard of any place that's consistently busy inside dining. And so, like, they can yell all they want about government having shut them down, having shut them down, having shut them down. The reality is the economic impact is there because people don't want to go in. Yes. And all government is trying to do is be like, hey, listen, it, it, there's this false dichotomy that was created that was like, if government didn't shut down indoor dining, their business would, wouldn't be impacted. No, it would be. So that, that seesaw, that weighing out was like, you're gonna get hurt either way, but the 10% that will go in will now be a, a spread risk. So at this point, and everyone acts like, like the weight was full dining room capacity versus spread risk. And that's not – that just doesn't exist, and we're seeing that now. Now that interior dining is allowed, you're not seeing full dining rooms. And so restaurants are bleeding nonetheless, and we're seeing increased spread. And I'm not saying that's directly attributable to those restaurants, but – So you alluded to schools – oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Okay, so you alluded to schools, and um, I'll lead with this – there's a, there's a guy, actually, so you guys are, I'm sure, both very familiar, obviously. You're running, you guys are running for the seat with the select board here in Sharon. So there's a woman on the select board, uh, Emily Smith-Lee, whose husband is an econo- uh, an education consultant. And he actually wrote a piece that I read recently that was really brilliant where he was saying, like, if schools really matter to us, then we would we would look at it as an either-or. Shut everything. Like, the answer doesn't have to be no schools. It could be shut everything else down. Um, the reality is that it's, schools are made that much harder by keeping everything else open. And, and I know you basically said that yourself, Andrew, was that we're opening casinos and ultimately we might now not be able to open schools. Um, and to me, like, I don't, look, I don't think realistically you're going to win that battle convincing people to go into full shutdown in order to go to schools. But as a, as a guy that owns three front-facing businesses and five businesses and then has kids in the school – I'm willing to say like I would close I would close down fully if you said that's the only way for your kids to have a normal uh, second and kindergarten year. I would do it. Uh, I personally am anti going back to school, given the current scenario, because like I, I'm willing to take gambles with my own life that I'm not willing to take with my children's lives. I'm just not or my wife, who's a teacher, um, you know, so, so I don't know where you guys stand on school going back, whether or not you guys think that it's a possibility to address to dial way back on phases in order to go back to school and look at that trade-off? Yeah, I think defeating the pandemic has
2: to be the top priority because to your point about businesses, whether it's businesses or schools, it's not about whether the government shuts down or not. It's we have to be data-driven and prioritize public health first. And if we defeat the virus, if we have uh, a test positivity rate that is really low, if case counts keep declining, if we have testing capacity and hospital utilization rates that are strong, then maybe we can consider a hybrid model. But right now, I think moving to phase two from phase three in terms of broader reopening is a minimum. And I think thinking seriously about either delaying uh, the start of in-person school um, or like Somerville or just uh, really tying it to metrics statewide because we can't, you can only reopen school in person if you have really low virus transmission rates in the broader general population. And I'm not, I'm not sure we're there yet.
1: Yeah, I think David, you know, David's article, which I haven't read yet, but it, it, sound, it brings up a very interesting point. I mean, and the fact is, is that we have to be safety above all. Um, obviously, I don't envy the school committees right now, who are dealing with an impossible decision. Because, quite frankly, I think there is a certain there is a certain amount of uh, of this consideration, which is about providing hope to the parents that you know that we're get, we're going to get out of this. For like, sure. Like, that your kids are going to go back to school, and we're going to resume some level of normalcy, even if we can give you you know a day or two where your kids can go back. And I I understand that motivation, I really do, but. You know, as Andrew said, we're we're we gotta be about the metrics. You know, we gotta do what's you know, what's in the best health interest. And right now, we're not there. You gotta you know, I'm deeply concerned about the fact that I don't think we can reopen safely right now. And you know, the even the metrics that the state is putting out right now about what the schools have to do, yeah. you know, about the you know twelve weeks of PPE, like having a stash of twelve weeks of PPE on hand, there are nursing homes that don't have a twelve week stash of PPE on hand, and those, you know, and we're talking about the highest of the high risk population. You know, there's there's a, a nursing home I heard about. I think it was West Bridgewater. They're carrying like four or five days, you know. And we're asking we're asking schools to come in, you know, with twelve weeks of PPE. You know, we're we're setting them up basically to fail at the at achieving this. And so I think that that's a real problem. You know, if we can't if we can't even get to those metrics, then we're gonna have, we're just not ready. Um, the and other thing that deeply concerns me is that what do, you, what do you do when you've got a school system, like great school system like Sharon, that says, fine, we'll get you 12 weeks. We'll, we will see 12 weeks of PPE, we'll get 12 weeks of PPE. But then Randolph turns around and says, we can't, we can't make 12 weeks of PPE, we can't open under the metrics. Well, then you've got you know the nice, the nice towns in Massachusetts and the poor towns in Massachusetts, and you're worsening the inequality that we already have in our educational system.
2: And so on that point, I mean, uh, I I agree with Ted, how do we um, reopen and provide the resources to all school districts adequately, whether it's PPE, whether it's uh, given that we're gonna mandate lower uh, student to teacher ratios, it's more personnel. And so this uh, deal that we celebrated last week about level funding state aid for the next, next fiscal year uh, the chapter seventy funds. That's great. Okay, let's applaud people uh, for taking that leap of faith. Because not only have we not passed a state budget for the fiscal year twenty twenty one, but we ha- we don't even have one proposed. But my concern is. Um, to Ted's point with the hundreds of thousands of dollars per school district sometimes millions of dollars in PPE required level funding state aid is not gonna be enough we're gonna actually have to expand resources to school districts especially the poorest ones um, and how are we gonna do that and that's where when the uh, rubber meets the road and we don't even have a budget proposal for fiscal year 2021. I mean, I get that we pushed the tax deadline back from April to July, um, and we're kind of waiting uh, for a savior from the federal government and whether Senate Republicans will come to their senses and provide a bailout for state and local governments. Um, I don't know if that's gonna happen before the election. And so I think we need to take action. We need people at the state house who will demand some plan forward. That's what leaders do in a crisis. And, you know, Avi, Massachusetts is in a crisis right now. We need urgent action from our leaders. And I think Beacon Hill is dragging its feet.
1: I mean, I may not say it's it's in a crisis. We're in a pandemic, you know, and we're faring the pandemic better than we, you know, better than our neighbors, better than most of the country. But, you know, we are, we're still, again, it's all about, like I said, finding our way in the dark. We are hoping that the federal government comes through. And you know, that's what you know the three month budget did to get to October was just to buy some time so that, you know, hopefully Washington can get their crap together and, you know, send some dollars our way. We can't put money on the credit card, they can't. You know, we have the balanced budget requirement. And so, you know, that's the problem is we gotta work together. Unfortunately, Beacon Hill works together a lot better than D.C. does. And so, you know, we're seeing the, the ill effects of that going on right now. So
0: I just want to say real quick. So apparently Corey tells me people are people can't see Andrew very well. Can't see Andrew. So and where they're at, we, where and we move? So we're about to move. We're going to turn the mics down. But I don't want to stop that. Let, let's continue this real quick, and we'll, we'll, we'll have a clean break. Okay. So I think you guys are actually making really great points right now. And for everybody else, at least you can hear them. And I, I don't know. For me personally, I'm watching, like, really great points get made, and I want to hear that. And I don't want to do the whole, like, let's shift until we're done with this point. Um. So you don't feel like – do you feel like Beacon Hill has been slow to react and hasn't done everything that they could have done in order to –
1: put us in a better position Yes, no, we can we can always do better you know that's that there's never any question about that what I'm saying is is that in if you look around the country and you look at how we're navigating this pandemic sure we are doing better than the the vast majority of states and you know we've we've created some issues for ourselves when Andrew referred to when we pushed the um, the tax day into July to match the federal deadline yep. you know the federal fiscal year begins in October it was no it was no issue for them to have you know because they're still getting the taxes in the same fiscal year our tax our uh, fiscal year starts in July. So when we pushed the tax deadline, you know, we pushed knowing how what what the receipts were going to look like, what some of these revenues were going to look like. The sales tax and those are the things that come in real time and we can see we can sort of get a, an idea of how bad the the, the problem is. So Adrian, what do you feel but, like but, they could but, have done differently?
2: Well, I mean, this is not a new problem. The complacency, the inertia existed long before coronavirus. Last year, Massachusetts was the 50th state in the nation, the last state to pass the budget. Even right now, over 30 states have passed a fiscal year 2021 budget. So waiting for the feds for help doesn't buy you an excuse for inaction. I mean, what has the legislature done uh, before the the cram uh, of the last session uh, late in July? They uh, allowed notaries to operate through Zoom, they allowed beer and liquor uh, sales curbside, which wasn't um, small. That's not a small. thing. No, it's thing. not a small okay. thing. But I'm yeah. just trying to say, like, and they passed a vote by mail legislation. Like, sure. they're,
0: they're another really... another very major thing.
2: No, it is. But okay. I, when you look at the lack of action when it comes to a budget and any guidance until just before schools are reopening, sure. That to me is a failure. Never mind the all the pre-existing problems. Well, Mas- never mind well, well, the pre-existing problems in terms of transportation, housing, uh, climate change. These bills have been stacked up. It's a two-year session for months now, and we've just seen inaction. So
0: I'm I'm a layman here, but I will say that Massachusetts did. I thought this was huge, um, the timing of Massachusetts announcing that they were going to guarantee school funding to last year's fiscal, which I thought was major. And I I think it's unfair then to say – so Massachusetts has been ahead of the curve in doing that, and their timing allowed small towns like Sharon, like Walpole, like Stoughton to look at that and say, okay, let's not – because there's a lot of financial my, – my wife's in education. There's a lot of dominoes that fall there, right? There's a lot of worrying about if we don't bring this kid back into school and they go here, we lose that funding. So letting schools know you don't make a decision based – can you imagine if your kids and my kids had to go back to school because our town was worried about getting that per-pupil number? So the fact that our, our state was able to say relatively early relative to other states, hey, look, we're going to – even if the feds don't come through for us. We're going to fund your town to that number. I, don't worry my, that because numbers but are way but down. But my point is, plunging. I'm not sure it was
2: early relative to other states. If 30 other states have passed a fiscal year 2021 budget, we're late.
0: But my point is that if they pass that, and again, listen, I'm a layman. I'm willing to admit that I'd have to look at their budgets. But my point is, so listen, in general, and this is just, I guess, the business owner in me, so today. Um, today I think it was Mansfield That announced that they were going to go to um, That they were they, they announced something I thought that was brilliant They announced We are going to go remote fully With a goal of hopefully being hybrid By October 16th right. See I love that Because like my, my sister teaches in a charter school And charter schools We can, all, we can talk about that if you want to But <laughs> charter schools have unique things they can do So my, my wife used to teach in that same school She taught in Boston Public under a union Then at that charter school now in Canton and that charter school has announced that they're gonna go two weeks at a time. And my sister was like, I don't know how I feel, and I said, I love that. We've created this false narrative that we need to make decisions. And so, to be honest, again, as a business owner, I just look at it and go, some years I file a tax extension because I'm not sure yet how I wanna take certain things. And I like a state saying, you, 30 of you can go, go ahead, put your budget out for next year. You don't know what those numbers look like. So if 30 states gave the budget and didn't guarantee towns full funding at their previous levels that i don't think they did a better job
1: so he, and he, that's pretty much the point that i was going to make which was you get these 30 these 30 states that put the um, put the budget out before us well they're going to have to go back and revise it downward you know what i mean they they had the same incomplete numbers that we that we had the numbers that were are probably tanking right now they're probably going to have to go back and make cuts where we're waiting and hopefully putting together a document that we won't have to adjust that drastically moving forward. The other thing, you know, again, it's it's semantics. You're talking about being the last to pass a budget last year. We were the last to put it, you know, to put something on the books, but the fact is is that a couple of other states had negotiated a couple month extensions. Ohio was one of them that put up, you know, one of those two uh, one or two month extension on their budget negotiations just like we put off, put it off this year 3 months. You know, in order to give them more time to negotiate. I don't know if you ever want to be lumped in with a hat.
0: No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, well, I'm just and that's with the you. thing is, like, you know, it's it,
1: that's always well. It's always good to know where we're, we're stacking up against the rest of it because there are certain there are certain things that we're lacking at, and you never want to be behind Texas in anything, basically. Right. You know what I mean? And so it, it, that it, there are other there are other states that we can use as a metric that you know accurately say we should we should be you know keeping pace with, or we shouldn't you know, or we should be well ahead. No, I totally
0: get it. I get
2: it. But my point is the cadence of legislation. The activity on Beacon Hill is not matching the urgency of the moment. When forty-five other states have statewide police licensing, when we haven't acted boldly on climate change in twelve years, when we have uh, a transportation bond bill uh, that was passed in March for eighteen billion dollars of crucial investment in our train and bus system, and the Senate is just going to dither on it, this is part of the culture I'm talking about uh, about of, of inaction.
0: Okay, so in general, I hear you. That I hear you there. I'm just saying, like I personally feel like I feel fortunate to be a Massachusetts business owner during COVID. I feel Absolutely. like Beacon Hill has been pretty has been pretty reactionary. I didn't like, and I don't think you'll find a business owner with a liquor license that did <laughs> like the the length of time it took to go to uh, cocktails. I thought that that for a take on. I thought that that was a little bizarre, but they moved really fast on beer and wine. And I try to be appreciative of the fact that they're trying to balance a lot of different. Um, a lot of different angles, and I get that um
1: I think cocktails people were really worried about you know the road sodas you know it's doing the hey if you're mixing something and putting it you know putting it in a can that is not as sealed as of your can, without a beer can you know you're 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 running the risk of you know drunk driving, and that's that's where the concerns right. I, I know right. that's why it's but it to, to
0: both you, you guys both said, so to both of your guys's credit you said. Sometimes industry needs to be more involved in these advisory committees. Absolutely. Someone like myself could have easily explained, like, we have a heat sealer here. So we heat seal your cocktail. So, like, it's actually way, e- like, way easier to prevent, like, because with a growler, with a growler, do, when yeah. that police officer pulls you over. And, 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 eh. and,
2: and it's not like we don't already have another um, uh, industry in this state that sells intoxicants to people. Cannabis I mean we have a whole system of regulating when you pick up cannabis you have a sealed container so that if you get pulled over and it's open you're in trouble so I I, I, Is that I, how the, I honestly
0: don't know how that so works I, I'm just trying
2: to say the idea of to go cocktails being delayed and I, I get the concern there it's I,
0: I just think there's too many excuses for, sure. for, for the lack of action I dig that um yeah no and I, I get I get where you're coming from um I guess shifting gears a little bit. And it turns out like the cloud set. Shifting so now we're, we're cloud, not going to move for yeah, now. Yeah. How, we, how um, do we
2: look? Are we? Listen, the most
0: important thing I'll even, I'm off camera. They can't even see how good I look. Um, to me, <laughs> it's like, wonderful. at least, at least <laughs> you thank you. Appreciate here. you, you want want bro. Me. Nah, I just, like, as long as they can hear it, I'll say this. Um, I think you, you guys both make great points and I think you guys both sound great. So to me, that's the most important part here. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I don't think like, that's why I wanted to have a conversation like this is like on my podcast, for example, like we solve a lot of the world's problems, and. uh we do it because we try to create an environment where it's like, I don't, we don't, what, what fun is it to just like you came in, like just so everyone out there knows we, I don't even have questions pre-planned. So they certainly don't have questions pre-planned. And this is like a real time. So we're seeing it that way. You're right. And that's the thing is like, look at the end of the day, business world, whether it's in politics, you're going to be, you're solving You're in real life conversations. You don't go into a situation where you're like this, Hey, listen, this is the drum we're going to beat today. Um, So I think it's cool for people to be able to see like, you well, know, people present I don't their know, opinions. I, don't know.
1: I think Andrew would agree that you know, when when we do some of these forums where it's like you have 90 seconds, you and then you have. I hate seconds. that stuff. As right. As, right. As, it's, it's tough. It's a tough forum to adapt to. So I, you know, I prefer the. Discussion by the way, what? By the way, about. what?
0: What? Can, I'm gonna say consumer or viewer yep. enjoys that on any level, federal or local. It's like you you end up with someone making a great point and you know they're going to get cut off and you watch them make a terrible point that you know they wanted to just say bumper sticker politic line right. and then they have to sit there for another 80 seconds it's like I, guys i don't care i just want to hear you i just want to hear what you have to say you know? and i think it well I, I actually my point is very relevant to what just yeah. happened is i think it's bec- these strict rules oh uh, sorry it's on him right now andrew <laughs> and he's got ninety. Even- <laughs>
2: <laughs> these strict exactly. rules are because of a lack of civility and one thing that i mean ted and i just displayed is sure. we try to yes there are different viewpoints and different experiences uh but i've had a beer with ted before yeah. uh okay. I, you know i we send each other uh christmas cards um, cool. Uh, neither one of
0: you sends me a Christmas card. I, so well,
2: hey, I would hope I I'm would sorry. hope after this and election
0: you ce- celebrate Christmas? Uh you know actually that I uh, you know, actually do only because my wife but but people uh, I will but no but, but, but in fairness most people wouldn't assume to send me one. So list. I'm just playing <laughs> with you. Dude, I yeah, love you that Yeah, You did. You so did. You so did. I, I said that on purpose because I like dude, I like to people's Christmas cards. But in fairness, you know what would have been a better You know what would have been a better answer? I didn't send one to either one of you guys and we actually send like a whole company one and I should have. Especially you
1: dare you in the district and
0: you
2: yeah, <laughs> but I just my, my point is those rigid debate rules are because of a lack of civility. Sure. Me and Ted have different views. Yeah, we disagree and we can get heated, but in the end, I think you can have a beer. I would hope
0: after this election with me and
2: and Absolutely. I with you, no matter how it turns what out. What would you say you disagree
0: the most? Like, almost e, e, uh, separate. Let's go one, two, two, one. Whoever wants to go, Ted first. What What would you say if I had to say? Because like, so I had. Um, to ramble for a second there was in town here in Sharon election and I didn't know either candidate from a yep. the wall and they both came to me to have a conversation and I said to one I said I don't know either one of you I don't know who to vote for what what's the biggest difference between the two and the person didn't give me an answer and in the end as I got to know the other person I just went with the other person because they kind of could present to me a dichotomy that I could absorb so to me, like, so what would you say okay. the two of you are going to fist fight after that beer? <laughs> What's
1: it over? So I the, don't fist fight, please. When we, uh, no, we're not fist fighting. Uh, when we talk about run, you know, running for the seat, running for state representative, what, uh, a lot of times I've, I've had this question come up, well, what, do, what differentiates you from Andrew? And I think that the difference is our backgrounds. And okay. that's what I say is that, you know, I make, I make the case that in my time as a legislative staffer, I think that that has best prepared me to take over as state representative that I've had a lot of, you know, I've had a lot of experience. Sort of doing the job already and then I'm ready to go on day one. Andrew brings a different background. He brings a private sector uh, private sector background, you know, working as an economist and working for Indeed because we we both know each other's bios, but at this point works for <laughs> Sorry, Indeed, he too. worked for five thirty eight. Um, and so his argument is that the outside experience is what Beacon Hill needs. Yeah. And so I think that that's where you know, that's where we draw the opinion. I'm you know, my I feel like my experience and my background just makes me a stronger candidate to take over the job. Okay, so it's not on an issue per
0: se. It's on, It's just you feel like you're both coming into the job interview, and you just bring so different we're level right. Of experience. We're
1: both Democrats, and when you talk about you know the ways we're going to vote on on certain issues, we're going to line up most of the time. You know, it's I think that in, in all the questionnaires that he and I have filled out when applying for endorsements and things like that, um, particularly the ones that were made public, there's a lot of similarities. There's very little difference. So yeah, I think the difference is you know when you start to look for okay, well then if you guys are going to vote the same way, what Separates you, and that's that's where I come at
0: it.
2: What would you say? Uh, I would say it's the same. It's the experience. Um, I have a background um, as an economist uh, uh, over a decade of experience. Five years at the Federal Reserve, um, three years as an economist at Indeed.com. You know, I put myself through the University of Chicago. I've been focused on uh, data-driven policy, uh, both in the public sector and the private sector, and uh, that experience has prepared me to challenge the status quo in Beacon Hill because it's not just that I have a a experience outside the building that experience forms my willingness to stand up to the way business is done the politics as usual you know business as usual I just I don't think it's acceptable anymore Um, we need new leadership for a new age um, and uh, the way things are done on Beacon Hill in particular when it comes to transparency and uh, how votes are taken, and how much concentration of power there is, how much follow the leader mentality there is in, in the state house, uh, among the whole culture there, that I think is the obstacle to pragmatic progressive change, whether it's climate change or transportation or racial justice, any of these issues. And, and again, to Ted's point, yeah, we're both Democrats, but we agree on a lot of things, but ultimately it's, it's not about um, policy, it's about process that differentiates us. And so my outside experience as an economist and my willingness as a progressive to have a backbone and challenge the status quo, I think, is the biggest difference.
0: So can I ask a million-dollar question that, um, like, I don't want to – I'm not taking sides, so I'm not trying to put you in a weird spot here, but okay, if Lou if, if, if Kafka were to have run, would you have opposed him? And do you think just given his stronghold and the fact that he's done so well by this district and so many people have stood with him, and voted for him repeatedly to the point where no one even contested him for that spot for a long time. Um, do you think that 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 outside voice being needed would be as as much of a of a drum beating um, campaign platform if it was against Lou? So I'll go first. Um. I have a so lot of fairness, that's a question just for you. because yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> like, I know Teddy wouldn't have you wouldn't have. I assume you wouldn't. You weren't going to actually. we'll so talk we'll, no, so about, about that in a minute. That's actually cool. Uh, that's a cool. So I have a lot of respect
2: cool. for uh, Luke Kafka and yeah. what he's um, done for constituents uh, in the 30 years in the state house. Sure. Um, you know, I, I appreciated uh, a lot of his votes. Um, however, um, I pushed him and his office in January of 2019 at the start of this current session to make concrete reforms on transparency, on publishing committee roll call votes, publishing committee testimony. We're the only state in the country where the uh, governor, the the state house, the state senate is all exempt from public records requests. So I made an ask of of Lou on that. He voted no on those amendments in the rules debate. Um, That said, he's done a lot of fantastic work bringing resources to this district, uh, responding to the constituents, and Ted is a part of that. I, I don't wanna discount Ted's work as a staffer. I think actually state house staffers should be paid more. I think they're underpaid. But my approach to this race, um, even before Lou announced he was uh, retiring, was we have to have change. Now, I'm not saying I would have challenged him if he announced he would have re- ran again, but I would definitely have tried to have a conversation with him if he announced he's running again to say I need you to stand up to the speaker and not just vote in lockstep a hundred percent of the time. You have to, you know, represent our voices, not just the kind of Beacon Hill insider politics.
0: Okay. So I guess two-part question then to you: Would you have? Ever run for that seat if Lou kept going? And also, if not, at least how do you feel about Andrew's uh, want for change as somebody who was in the office and probably, I imagine, could at least, if not did, ask for change at times?
1: It is probably the worst kept secret in all of Sharon that I've been waiting for Lou to retire sure. to run for this job. Okay. I mean, I w- I'm very lucky in terms of I always knew what I wanted to do. You know I mean? You remember me, president of student council at yeah, of Sharon course. High School. Of course. You know, doing, uh, you know, doing things around the district for the district with an eye on achieving the seat. You know, right. you know what I mean? So, you know, I went to work at the state house. I went to, um, there wasn't an opening in Lou's office, so I went to work um, uh, for the state senate. I went to work for a central, uh, senator from central Massachusetts. Um, worked there for a year. when An opportunity came up to work for Lou. I jumped on it, started immediately, started working, Toward again, with an eye towards succeeding him. Um, everybody knows that. So would I, do I wish that opportunity came sooner? I do. I mean, it was one of those things where I think that um, I learned a lot from Lou, but I, I feel like I was, you know, prepared to, uh, to run for the seat a couple of years ago. And so, you know, I've never run – I don't think I could ever run against Lou. You know what I mean? It's sure. one of those things where, dis- despite all my frustrations, the-, the fact of the matter is is that I'm a firm believer that everything works out for a reason. And that would have been, cool. yeah, been cool. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it's one of those things. Well, And the other thing is, is that you look at, you look at the – there are some people, there are examples on Beacon Hill of people who ran against their boss, who took out their boss, um, and they got nothing done. You know sure. what I mean? Because even, even, and, if uh, you, even if you succeed in the short term, that gets hel- That got held against you, and so I wasn't going to be a part of that, you know, and I wasn't going to hurt the district by doing that. So and I know that Andrew's about so to say that this. Yeah, is why Beacon Hill needs to change. So is that is
2: exactly why Beacon Hill needs to change because that attitude, that attitude of I can't challenge an incumbent or an incumbent in leadership because if I win, I'll be penalized by the speaker. That is the problem with Beacon Hill because it's this system of cowering from the speaker and uh, being ex- willing to just outsource all your legislation and all your votes to whatever leadership tells you to vote. And if you're fearful, I, honestly, I'll, I'll say this today, if Ted did challenge Lou and lost and ran again and now, I would never have challenged Ted. I would have a ton of respect for Ted because he, he says he, he wants change, but he never challenged, he never pushed for change. And that's what change, change won't happen until people stand up. Against so, this.
1: Country. So, can I, can, so I, I just, can I And I, I chime in as, in as you're out, talking can, about You were yeah. talking about that second point, though. So I just wanted
0: to. Can I just chime yeah, in? I, I mean, I'll give you a second, but I just want to put in my my two cents yeah. on this. So here's my issue. Right. And by the way, to, to some degree. And, and I, you know, listen, I'm just I'm just a guy with a restaurant. Right. So like <laughs> but to insert myself into what I think the dichotomy that we're looking at here, because I have a ton of respect for you. And, and obviously, Thank I have up. a ton of respect for you. Thank you. And, and I think you guys are both. You guys both have these great visions and are both people who I like. I rock with on a personal level, in addition to what you guys bring to the table here. But this is where I just disagree philosophically, is that to me, so here's something about Luke Kafka, and I, I personally think is true about Ted, that matters to me, is that I don't always know, like I leave a room, and I'm talking about like, I'm not talking about politics even. I'm just talking about like stuff. I don't necessarily leave a room knowing how they feel about something. And and i know that you're calling that status quo but when you're a business owner in a town and you need you're you're dying during a pandemic and you just need something passed. and this is something that Sharon residents need and it's not just business owners it's someone that needs uh, this small change for their in order for their water bill to happen differently or for you need someone who when you call them and you go listen here's where i'm at has the gravitas on beacon hill to go to have these whisper conversations not Mm. not not fraudulent not dirty more like hey listen man like can we have a can we have a conversation we talk because for me what what sucks in town politics state politics and national politics is that things get made to seem sometimes like they're really not so like if i call you up like if i called you up ted up or lou up and said listen man like i don't qualify for this thing but i'm really trying to get it all three of you would hang up on me as you should but if i was like hey look There's this thing going on right now and they're looking at it wrong and they don't understand. Like, for example, liquor liability insurance. This was a conversation I actually had with lose office through Ted during the pandemic, liquor liability insurance is attached to your liquor license in the state of Massachusetts. So if you cancel your liability insurance policy, then you're, um, then you lose your liquor license. So the biggest thing killing downtown Boston restaurants, that are only doing takeout is they're not selling any liquor and they're paying massive insurance premiums and i called and no one on beacon hill knows that or even thinks about it and when i call it's like i can have a conversation it's like hey can you go can you go have this conversation if you're someone who's always beating a drum and is going to challenge your boss because you want change and is going to fight about change on the floor when it's you got to pick your battles there's things worth a change if you're just going to fight because at every moment you're like we need change then can you get that done for me and that's something I worry about sometimes it's like I Look, don't want if, every, if you're the guy who's always fighting you might not be I, able to make this small change. T- Ted
2: deserves to jump in here I just want to say that I'm running on ideas not relationships sure. and you shouldn't vote for a state rep because they're the best crumb getter or the best you know concierge you should vote for a state rep who will listen to you and listen to everybody equally and fight for everyone as
0: they would fight for, for themselves and, and that's what I will do Sure. You're. you're I'm, I'm just going to say that I think there's a massive difference, and I understand no, in politics. No, we disagree. There's a, yeah. No, no but, but I just want to say there's a massive difference between a crumb getter and a concierge. And so, like, <laughs> if, if you call me and you go, it's my anniversary, my wife and I, 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 I thought I was going to be away, I'm here, can you get me a table, and I move mountains and I go, yo, I'm going to get you, I'm not a crumb getter, I'm a concierge. If I call a state rep who has built up relationships – in order for when his constituents need it, that moment to be able to get them, quote-unquote, and I know I'm not on camera, you can't see my air quotes, get them that corner table. That's not them crumb getting. That's them saying, like, I, I've built up a career of being someone that can make sure my constituents are taken care of. um, And I, th- I see value in that.
1: I do. I appreciate that. And, you know, it, sort of circling back a little bit, you were talking about, you know, the – Changing how that how that debate played out and things like that, and challenging Lou and things. We have these discussions all the time in our office. You know, when, when pre-COVID, obviously they were in person, but you know the discussions that you have with with staff remain with staff. There are hundreds of times. I was actually talking to um, you know a couple of my uh, one of my old coworkers um, who we were we were reminiscing about the fact that there were a number of times that you know we disagreed with Lou we disagreed vehemently almost you know almost came to yelling in the office like just but the fact of the matter is is at the end of the day you work for that you work for that representative they call the play and you got to execute that's you know that's part of your responsibility as staff so you know I'm proud of the fact that you know that I brought my grievances my disagreements to Lou he heard me out he, you know, and same thing with the other members of staff. He always sought out our opinions um, about how um, how he should vote or how he should you should uh, attack a certain issue, and you know we gave him we gave him the honest opinion. He took that with him into caucus or you know onto the floor of the house, and he made that decision for himself. And so that's the kind of, you know, that's the independent thinking that I'm gonna look for in a staffer. You know, I, I hope to find somebody, I, you know, I'm not looking for a yes man. If I get to be the state representative, I'll be looking for somebody who's gonna give it to me unvarnished. And, you know, we're gonna have that debate in the office or on the phone or whatever. And then I'm gonna take that, you know, take that input and, you know, go be the best representative I can be on the floor of the house.
0: Would you vote for Andrew if he ran for president tomorrow?
1: If he ran for president tomorrow? President. Against Donald Trump, what are you kidding me? No, no, what
0: if he just ran for president? Like I, you don't know the, who the the other opponent is, would you? Like, would you vote for him? You know that he's a Democrat, Ooh. so you don't. You know that. It, listen, it could be.
1: This is really in a vacuum because you're yeah, you're it's offering like, it's no totally, alternative. You're just saying, does Andrew's vision? Because
0: I just had a thought pop into my head. That's okay. why I'm asking you. That's why I like this format.
1: I don't know. That's I a, would, It's a great in a heartbeat. Question. Okay. I would. I
0: would vote for you, you. for president. No. Well, the, the thought I just had was like, because I think again, it's a philosophical difference that the voters are going to have to decide on. Right. Sure. Is like is what they think each position entitles. so like i or entails so like i would vote for teddy tomorrow to represent the state of massachusetts in congress without blinking also in senate i probably would vote for you for both those spots also but unquestioned i would vote for you for president like i i like what you bring to the table i like your energy i like i like your ideas i think i think those are all great things i think we maybe disagree on in this very strange part of our democratic republic what this role entails and the deal-making that has to happen. Whereas, like, it's the difference between being a CEO and a COO, right? Like, I would run into battle for you. I would, and if you spoke at my company meeting, I would leave and I would make a lot of sales. Because I think that you, that, like, and and to Teddy's point, he actually is saying he doesn't disagree with your ideas. He likes your ideas. Um, And I like
2: a lot of his ideas. And and I think you guys are
0: both there. I just wonder and and by the way, so I, there's no you guys are you guys are running a campaign i I like both of you, so like at the end of the day, regardless of who wins, I'm gonna root for you, and I'm gonna be behind you sure. I would well, hope you have no I would, choice right well
1: but but well, what, <laughs> no, but I'm what only I always kidding. say, I'm only kidding.
0: but there are people that look I'm again, I'm just the guy that owns a restaurant, I'm not saying I'm important, but there are people who it's like sometimes they're running, and it's like there are people in particular, especially in town politics who like I'll go if that person wins. I'm afraid of them yep. or if they win, I'm going to steer clear of them because I don't support them versus there are people who I'm like, if you, if they win, there are things that I'm going to ask. I'm going to stay in their ear about looking at differently. Yep. And to me, like there are things like, look, I've known you for a long time and we talk often about, often. about things. And there are things that I'm like, Hey, can we approach this differently? Hey, and you know, I'm just one guy of yep. many in your ear about that. But vice versa. With you, my only thing would be like, hey, I love the ideas, I love the energy. Hey, can we make peace with this guy? Can we not go at this guy about this little thing tomorrow? Because a year from now, Sharon's gonna need this thing. Um, and I don't know that pissing that one guy off today is worth it. And I don't so, know, so maybe I, you will I mean, or I, won't and, agree. and
2: so, Avi, I appreciate your comments, and you know, I just I ask that you see beyond just the individual favors that you get from not favors, no, no, I don't, no, 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 don't want to say no, 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 the individual services you get from your current state rep and just take a step back and say, what have relationships gotten us? We have, the se- of all 160 state rep districts in Massachusetts, this one has the second longest uh, second uh, longest average commute time to work in terms of a crumbling transportation system. What have relationships gotten us when it comes to climate change where the house passed a bill last week that would still allow fossil fuels into 20, uh, 2090. You know, when I'm over 100 years old, uh, uh, I hope so. Um, What have relationships gotten us when we have a housing crisis where – a third of renters ma- in Massachusetts, according to one MIT study yesterday, are at risk of eviction. They, they can't pay their rent. Sure. And f- 50% of black renters. What, where are the relationships there in terms of delivering? And so that's why I, I agree. I think we have all agree. Uh, we're, we're having a love fest here. But let's, let's be clear. Let's not. Ted, your boy. boy. <laughs> well, Ted's your boy. And I get that. You're not my boy? No, no, no. We're, come on we're, now, bro. We're, we're cool, too. No, yeah, we're cool, too. We're, t- we're all cool. But I'm just saying that you favor Ted's philosophy of what a state rep does. And I'm just trying to articulate that a state rep who just runs on relationships has to reckon with the fact that there's been so much inertia on Beacon Hill and relationships are already there. No one has better relationships than the current incumbent. What is it, what but, is it doing?
0: But don't, mis- so, so, but don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not asking for the relationship between me and that person. Um, Cause, quite honestly, I know, I know, I know yeah, what you mean. You're, the the relationship, relationship they have, of the
2: person with the leadership at BKM. Sure. Hill. So
0: that's where, and maybe, and maybe we can shift gears towards this. That's where it's about it's about having those it's about having those relationships and then leveraging them towards the things that matter to us. Because again, like I just said, I would vote for you for president, bro. The three things you just rattled off, I'm with you on. Like, I'm like, so hey, man, if, if tomorrow freeze frame, you can have those relationships, and you're like, I'm gonna leverage them to make sure that black Americans are not at the risk of eviction at a higher rate than, than I'm like, hey, Andrew, let's go to war, let's do this together. Like, on the fossil fuels, I'm with you. Like, I'm the, because those things aren't more important than me getting to sell takeout liquor. Um, You know, I don't know, That's do you point. feel like they're That's more important? Point. Like, I would, hope, I would hope, I would hope that
1: you I also feel do. like <laughs> those things are more important. Yeah, well, but the thing is, is that in order to deliver on those issues, you got to have the relationships in order to do it, and sure. that's the thing: is that you know you have to be able to you know to work with the chairman of the transportation committee to right. say, hey, listen, you know we got a project down here in South Coast Rail that's terrible. We have a Foxborough train that's losing money by the day. Same thing on the Hangam Line. You know, we, we we you need to be able to you know get those meetings and, and fight for your district in a way that uh, you know that I'm, will, that, I'm uh, that i that I want to do. You know what I mean? And having those relationships, having the relationships with both the the elected officials and the staff gives me a leg up because I can go in there and I can deliver on these on these issues. You know, we're talking about the issues on, you know, at the 10,000 foot level, the policy, you know, and we agree on the policy, but I'm the one that can go in there and get it done. But but what we disagree on is whether Beacon Hill is broken or not. Ted doesn't
2: think it is. I think it is. Right. And in my opinion, you can't fix racial justice. You can't fix uh, many racial injustice. How many state reps are there? 160. 160.
0: So I can only replace one, right? Yeah. So yeah. I need. So I can't overhaul the whole system. I know, but we're on the. This is why. Look, this. Let
2: me just say this. This is why this race matters. 12 progressive state reps have signed on to this. Voters deserve to know. Pledge to make uh, concrete transparency reforms. And if we get just a few more, and so this, this is why this race matters to 16, 10% of the chamber can start to uh, demand more roll calls, to demand more transparency, to have more of a debate in the house chamber. Right now there's uh, a, a house that meets in session a quarter or a third as much as it did 20, 30 years ago. That's something I will change. I will partner with those 12 state reps. One of them is on a mailer that should be hitting your mailboxes any day now. So I already do have relationships. I just have relationships with people in the building who want to change the building. (laughs) I get it. I
0: get it. If you could vote differently on one thing that District 8 voted in the last year, what's that thing? Uh, Then who voted? Like, so our district. So in this case, it's Lou. I was saying District 8. Well, there's
2: two. I'll mention two. Lou, um, while he voted with the Speaker um, to – uh, go along with Rep Liz Miranda's uh, amendment a few weeks ago on the police reform bill to ban no-knock warrants in certain cases he did not vote with that? Mike Connolly's yeah. amendment to ban tear gas so I didn't like that vote by Lou but the bigger one is the one I mentioned earlier which vote the you
0: liked you liked the
2: he, getting he did rid of not no-knocks ban tear gas. and didn't like the tear gas okay. vote, Lou voted not to ban tear gas I did not like that vote okay. I would vote to ban you tear gas you would ban gas. tear gas yes but the second the more important vote is the one I mentioned earlier the January 2019 I sent Ted and, and Lou an email I called left a message and said you need to vote to make committee votes Transparent and public—that's the key. That's the mechanism to start putting real accountability on state reps. And Lou voted no.
1: Okay. That's See, I disagree. Really you public committee votes wouldn't have changed the system. You know, no, this, that's one of the reasons why you know some of the proposals I have about changing the system are how to get the bills out of the committees that they're stuck in. You know, if you have a public committee vote, I so don't talk to me like I'm dumb, because okay. I, I kind of so am. Why well, does yeah, not, I guess in my mind. When a bill gets filed, a bill, okay. you know, a bill gets filed, and if it's filed, and it, what's called a timely file, it goes to a committee of jurisdiction. So in other words, a bill about crime goes to the Judiciary Committee. Okay. A bill about health goes to the Public Health Committee. Um, so the those committees then have to give the, give the bill a full public hearing, which means they hold the hearing. Anybody in the state can come in. They can talk about uh, whether or not they favor the bill, whether they're opposed to the bill, whether they like the bill but they want changes. They basically tell all the committee members what they think of the bill in that hearing. And then the committee goes back, they chew over all that testimony because you can either do it in person, you can submit it you know, written electronically, whatever. So then they, they consider and then they issue a report. And then what, what, there's basically four, four different options that a committee can do. The first option is they can give the bill a favorable report, which says, we think this bill is good. We want to move this to the floor of the House for debate and a vote. Second, second issue, they can do a favorable with an amendment and basically say, we think, the, we think the majority of this bill, heart's in the right place. We think, you know, you have to tweak the language a couple of places here, here, and here, but then we're going to kick this new product forward. The third is a negative report, and they can give it the full thumbs down, say this bill stinks, and we don't think it should, uh, we don't think it should go anywhere. And the fourth one is being, is called accompanied by a study order, which means it gets, it, it's quote unquote, sent to study. It's basically a nice way of killing the bill. It's a, it's a nice way that says, hey listen, um, yeah. we, it, it is a euphemism. Thank you. Um, where they say, you know, w- basically, we're not going to embarrass you, but we're, gonna, we're not going to embarrass the rep to file this by giving your bill a negative report and telling everybody that we think your bill stinks. We're going to say we need to study the issue further. And then, of course, no study, no study actually happens. It just goes into the study order. It dies. The bill dies and has to get filed at the beginning of the next two year session. What and I, lots of bills. This happens
2: to the ROW Act, the Safe Communities Act, 100 percent renewable energy, election day registration. Lots of bills get all this support in the state house, but then magically die in a secret vote and sent to study. So ROW uh, act, act is Act is not is
1: not in study yet, and I'm I'm very I'm. I'm so I don't know what that act is, and that, I imagine so a lot of people listening uh, you know? don't. access to um, or co- further codifying access to reproductive health for women okay so oh like roe v Wade. yeah, yeah. So roe, like v. Wade, roe v Wade. it's v. called roe act reproductive right but you
0: mentioned election uh you mentioned uh, election, election day registration i want to day talk day. about that yeah. afterwards yeah. but let day let that one, let's let him finish
1: that one i was gonna say that part of the thing is because we extended the session um till the end of the year because of COVID. there's a lot of bills that probably w- that would have seen their demise last week yeah last week excuse me um and then haven't yet so you know we we pushed out the timeline on it but
0: why can't we have election day registration
1: it's a great
2: question and uh, it's something that for year after year after year it's not a this is the key point to take away from the whole study order committee vote thing is the whole idea of co-sponsoring a bill is bs it means basically nothing because there are tons of bills that have um, to ted's point have a majority of co-sponsors but get killed in in secret study orders under ted's plan of forcing them uh to come out with a report they'll just get killed in secret unfavorable report orders it's not going to change anything
1: so here's so here's here's where I where I differ. It, uh, when Andrew refers to my plan, what I what I said what I put forth is that uh, the the change to the rules that I want to offer is that if your bill gets a majority of co-sponsors in the House and the Senate, which means 81 co-sponsors in the House, 21 co-sponsors in the Senate, because it's 40 senators, if you get a majority of co-sponsors, your bill can't be sent to study, and so you know it has to get a favorable or a negative or a favorable with amendment. And I you know I do realize that yeah, there's legislatively there's a hundred different ways that can kill a bill. But you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna take that big one off the table. I'm gonna take the big one off the table and then we're gonna see where, uh, you know, we're gonna find out if there are other ways that people try to kill the bill. And guess what? Next time, I'm gonna take that off the table too. Because in order to get, in order to get real change, in order to do that, you got to start taking – You got to st- look at the, the obstacles that are between you and your goal, and you got to take those obstacles out one by and, one. And, and the
2: ultimate obstacle is a lack of a, ability for voters and uh, interest groups to hold state reps accountable. So you're never going to change anything. The, the only way to change things on Beacon Hill is political pressure from constituents, from uh, interest groups calling. And the best way to do that is to publish all your votes right now until you – if you don't – and this is a big difference between Ted and I. Ted's okay with secret committee votes. I am not. And you, as, say, uh, Planned Parenthood, Massachusetts, uh, see that the Roe Act, year after year, session after session, is sent to study in a secret vote, but you see all these people on the committee who s- uh, apparently give lip service to you, tell you to your face as Planned Parenthood that you support reproductive rights, but then it just never gets done. Do you believe them? Because you, c- you actually can't have them prove to you that they voted for this, because it's not on the record. So and that's the big difference between us.
1: So the RO Act was only filed this session. There is no session after session after session. We can okay. do that, that. does apply to other bills, but it doesn't apply to the Roe Act. The Roe okay. Act was only filed this last year, and you know we're still fighting for that now. I'm very but proud th- to have the endorsement of the, fu- the the woman who filed the Roe Act, who's the Speaker Pro Tempore, Pat Haddad, from uh, down in So. Would the you
0: would you personally vote on something that you would be uncomfortable having somebody know that you voted for? Absolutely, you would.
1: Well, I would. Sorry.
0: Like, sorry. Would you ever vote for something personally that you'd be uncomfortable having people know that you voted for?
1: No. I. I look, so I'm, I don't understand I'm, the benefits. I'm saying, I'm, saying I'm, yeah. I'm. Whatever vote that I take is going to be a vote that I know that I can stick. with. So my by, point is, know? I'm just.
0: I'm not sure where. And again, I'm a layman here. I don't know if I understand. So one thing that this I was is, surprised. So this so I, is a lot of my, inside My baseball. college degree was in philosophy with a um mind. Like. Ethical, social, political philosophy, the focus on race racism, but as part of that, I take public policy classes. Sure. And I remember, like, learning about, um, why am I blanking all of a sudden in the moment on, uh, when you attach something to a bill. Amendments? Um, no, a rider. So when I learned oh. about riders, the federal I was bench. like, holy shit, like, that's a change in American politics that the average person doesn't understand, right? So, yeah. like, you run it's for like president when I'm behind the president. you, right? A hundred percent. Um, maybe even your campaign manager, bro. But, um, <laughs> and they go... Andrew, like you voted against a ban for assault weapons. And like you look like a real idiot. But the reality is you voted for that because they attached the rider that made it so Planned Parenthood would never see another dollar. And that's a bizarre part of American politics, right? That like so so if there was something like that on the state level, I would be like, all right, I don't want, I don't want some of these things to be voted, because I don't want you attacked. I don't want you put in a position. Where you so have to vote. Like, that's a so weird so thing that happens, where you have to vote one way or the other, and so either way, we're going to kill you later. I, I right. just want to say I love
2: this, this, this back and forth that we're all having, Ted and Avi and I, because this is what needs to happen more on Beacon Hill. Sure. Right now, there's, as I mentioned, a lot less time. The House is in session, a lot less on-the-floor debate in front of the cameras. And take this statistic as one. In 2016, about a third of House Democrats voted with the House Speaker 100% of the time. Last year, that percentage doubled. Two thirds, almost two thirds of House Democrats. let well, got a better speaker. Hundreds, s- hundreds of, speaker. hundreds of hundreds of hundreds of roll of roll call <laughs> votes. Damn it! Sorry. <laughs> it's hundreds of roll call votes and state uh, two thirds of state Democrats, a um, uh, state House Democrats. There
1: hundred percent of the time. There's the PD. See, and the pr- the problem was Sorry. the the problem also I believe is philosophical here is that you know a lot of the bills that make it to the floor on on Beacon Hill, the outcome's predetermined, and the bu- the votes are either going to be almost party-line Democrat over Republican, so it's like 120-something to, Mm -hmm. you know, 30, or it's 159 to nothing, you know, which, to their credit— Sounds like the American Congress. Well, it sure, but the thing is is that, you know, I want to see more bills hit the floor, and I want to see more bills hit the floor, quite frankly, that you can have debate on and that you can— I don't need need to feel comfortable that, you know, the bill's got to pass with overwhelming massive majorities. I mean, in Massachusetts— in order to pass a bill, you need 81 votes. And so that was part of the, part of the genius of, of previous speakers was that um, when someone like Charlie Flaherty, again, this guy, you know, had his, his faults as speaker, but he was willing to bring bills to the floor and have robust debate. There was no staff allowed in the chamber. There were a bunch of, you know, representatives had to think for themselves. They had to think on their feet. There was debate, you know, that would go on. If the, if the speaker didn't agree with a, a particular representative, he got, au- you know, he got off the rostrum. And he debated them right there on the floor and was, and again, it was one of those, you don't have to vote with me all the time, uh, but you know, I'm, I just need to get to 81. And so that's, that's the philosophical change that over the last 30 years, as power became more and more consolidated in the speaker's office that, you know, I think we need to reverse. And again, I think, I think I'm better equipped to do that because as someone who knows the building and who has the relationships, we can go in there and we can start making those changes from the inside. Benefit.
2: This yep. t- argument Ted's making doesn't make any sense to me, Avi. Because okay. so imagine you buy a restaurant, you fire the chef because it's struggling. Do You just hire the sous chef? No. I mean, it doesn't make sense to say that. Hey, this. Well, is not, Ted, no, I, no, no. Maybe, well, but no what if the chef was really good? Hear me, really me, good. Out, hear me out. If the state house is broken, and Ted's argument is, oh, I've been in the building and I, I can fix it from the inside, I, that to me sounds far more far fetched than someone who's already building a coalition with over a dozen other state reps who are pushing for these concrete structural changes, sure. who will join their crew, not have the, the history of you know being a staffer and seen as a staffer by dozens and dozens of other state reps that are suddenly my colleagues, I'll be willing to have the backbone to stand up to them. And I'm the progressive in this race. I've been endorsed by Progressive Massachusetts, Progressive Democrats of Massachusetts, Sierra Club, you name it, and they recognize that because they realize we're not going to have
0: significant change until we, 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 cha- we have people who stand up to the status quo. <laughs> if I'm keeping it really real with you, so the thing about restaurants is, and I think this actually applies to the analogy, is that a great sous chef, um, so sous chefs and restaurants, a lot of people don't understand the role, is to execute service and to, and to follow and chefs write a menu. So the issue is, like, you actually could, like, personally as a chef, if I bought a restaurant, a- I would immediately have to fire the chef because the reality is, like, chefs like you got to come up under me to be a chef under me cuz like there's got to be a philosophy share but I'm not necessarily getting rid of a sous chef cuz if they're a great order follower and they can execute for me um they either might be have visions of their own from a career where they can be the next chef or they might be great at executing my vision so I get where you're coming from but my point is like I wouldn't always I wouldn't always hold somebody like if you worked like I can imagine in your own career, you've worked for people who you're like, you had lots of private conversations with, who you said, like, look, can we go here? Can we go here? And But ultimately, at the end, when you guys went one way, you went wholeheartedly behind them because that's your job, right? Like, that's like, look, you shared your vision. I mean, it'd be different if you completely disagree with something. Like, like, look, if somebody that works, like, for Trump tried to run for an office ever again, I would (laughs) never vote for them. Personally, I'm pretty willing to be open publicly with the fact that I have nothing in common with that guy politically. Right. So the reality is I'd be like, nah, you followed that guy to bed. And if they were like, look, I was just a really good public speaker, like, then go public speak elsewhere. But if somebody that I kind of agree with has somebody, I, I don't know, like they
1: could do something different. Well, and to continue the, to continue the analogy, that's, that's what I'm saying. You know, I've been the sous chef and I'm putting out, I'm putting out a menu for you to consider. You know what I mean? I'm asking you to judge me on that menu. I'm not asking you to judge me on the chef that I work for. I'm asking you to look at, you know, look at my background, look at my history, and then look at what I say I'm going to do, and then judge me on that. You know, a, a, one of the, you know, beautiful things about the legislature, we're up every two years. So, you know, if I tell you that I'm going to do this, I'm going to make these changes, I'm going to fight for these changes, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be as transparent as possible, you, got, you have two years to decide, hey, listen, he delivered for us and that he absolutely stood up to, uh, you know, Lived up to his word, but you or get elected first. Yeah, and, that's and that's my I'm point saying. is, that's why I'm nothing asking. Nothing will
2: change in the next session because Ted won't vote to not just publish committee roll call votes, but stand up to the speaker, stand up to the status quo in Beacon Hill, because that's the only place he's ever worked. I'm an economist. I've worked at the Fed. I've worked at Indeed.com. I have some outside experience to compare it to. You know, even if you had w- a two-year stint anywhere where you could kind of compare the state house culture to, I think that gives you a leg up. But for me. Uh, my distinguishing feature is it's not just about having expertise I have my own expertise as an economist Ted knows the inside of Beacon Hill really well but it's also about having the backbone and that distinguishing feature is what's going to either bring us transformative change
0: in these urgent trying times or not so I value I value my career and I value like my name and what I put out there and I, I'll, I'll stand behind what I say so like what well you just said I'm I'm with you 90% of the way in the sense that like yeah, all Ted – so I say this about teachers. My wife's a teacher. My twin sister's yep. a teacher. I can keep – like, everyone in my life's a teacher. So I don't, teachers, I love you. I'm not crapping on you, okay? But I would say teachers have nothing to compare it to. It's all they've ever done, right? So if you had already done – like, if you had been at Beacon Hill for one turn, then I'm, I'm with you. Then I like your experience. I like it relative because you have things to compare it to. But we have one person that only has what we're current – like, the industry we're currently talking about – to compare it to and one person who doesn't have that at all. And that is, isn't that fair to say then, turn around and say, well, all you have is private. Like, so, dude, I'm doing a a non-pro- a non-profit, giant nonprofit project in Rhode Island right now. Uh, a million dollar state contract, we're deleting all these boxes. And every day, like, and I picture you standing next to me, knowing what your career is and your successes, the two of us are just banging our heads because we're like, how can we not just do this thing? And it's amazing how we just can't. And like, me and you, we come from a world where it's like, bro, like, no, it's right there. The answer is literally right there. Let's just grab it. But it just isn't because there, there's all this bureaucracy that, like, and I have to then lean on people who I'm like, they couldn't survive a day in my life, but I can't do their job. And I'm learning that, like, that's a real hurdle. It actually is. And that doesn't mean that they're better than me or that I'm better than them. It just means that, like, we exist in different experiences. And it is different, you know? Like, me and you, we'd both be like, let's just go over here. You know, like, let's just go do this other thing.
1: Well, and the other thing... With the is, nonprofit
0: thing. I'm not saying about with your politics. The, you, well,
1: and the other point that, you know, that I would also make, though, is you're talking about, you know, experience on Beacon Hill and with the value of the experience on Beacon Hill, but also the experience in the district. You know what I mean? It's working for these four towns and having the relationships in these four towns for the last 14 years it's knowing you know all of the you know every single member of the select board in each town having a different relationship they're four very different towns they're very different towns with very very different needs and so you know being able to shift gears real quick and you know be able to advocate for those effectively on beacon hill i think i've got a massive leg up there because again i've built these relationships over time it's not and it's not just you know the select board it's also the people in all the town halls you know what I mean it's the town engineers it's the you know the DPW supers it's talking to everybody you know on a regular basis and getting to know them so that they feel comfortable w- even on the littlest things. saying you know reaching out give me a text me like hey can you, you know can you help me can you help me find the right answer on this you know a lot of times it's just making sure that people get the right answer or the right you get connected to the right information so, I mean I, I mean, I said it earlier that I'm not running on relationships. I'm running on I- ideas.
2: I'll also say, to add to that, uh, I, I'm running for the future. I'm not running for the past uh, because my kids are the future here. I mean, I could say my kids are from the district. Right. I have they uh, are settled here. My wife is from Massachusetts. It, this is now more of a home to me than I've ever known. I sent my daughter to preschool uh, right here in Sharon. So when I think about the future of this district, I have to think, okay, who is going to lead the bold – transformative change we need uh, sure. not just on transportation and climate change and all these issues but in terms of getting beacon hill to the point where they rise to the occasion and i just it's too much dithering and i think we need to uh, have a new progressive governing majority we need new people in the state house building it's not a farm system you don't just hire you know next in line i don't i, I never ever subscribe to the wait your turn philosophy personally i never subscribe to it and i really admire people like ayanna presley who
1: don't
0: Oh no! To, we just got in a, a, we go, a weird place, you and I. Wait your turn, philosophy. Before you go, before you go there, <laughs> one
1: of, one of the important things, you know, in the you know, Andrew talks about getting involved in the district. You know, his daughter goes to the cooperative. Uh, it's the cooperative uh, nursery school, the new outdoor. Oh no! Wait, your daughter go, uh, went to school. Then with. To, she went to the cooperative nature so preschool, with, and uh, I, want
0: send uh, send school. No, no, I want to send her back post COVID. I want to send her back post. That means that she uh, went with um, one of my my lead bartender here. Their child goes there, and my best friend in the world, their Mila. Uh, Cohen went there
1: so here but here's the point I'm I'm trying to make which is the nature school got off the ground in the, you know they were having trouble with funding nature school got off the ground with a $50,000 earmark that we got in the state budget okay. you know we got that we got that preschool going because you know the people from the cooperative nursery school came over to me and said hey Ted you're an alumni class of 87 you know Lu- Luke son. you know uh, Ari class of 87 uh, from the cooperative school we, you know, this is what we want to do. Can you help us out? Can, you know, do you think you can get some interesting state money? Trivia facts, so, but so Ari, interesting it's trivia fact. So interesting trivia. But this is, but that's the thing is that this is how we deliver for the district. You know, you, so yeah, we got that 50,000 and got that preschool yeah, off the ground. And, and now we can sell it. Now we can sell it around the Commonwealth and show all these, all these different schools who are look, t- looking about, you know, thinking about so, doing outdoor education. We got, we got the perfect example here in Sharon, right here for well, you.
2: Well, that's great, but there won't be any nature for my kids to play in or my grandkids to play in until we actually have bold action on climate change. So this one small thing is great, and I appreciate that for the Cooperative Nature School, but we haven't led on climate in 12 years. I've been endorsed by the sierra club and by sunrise blue hills the local hub chapter of the youth-led climate movement why because the the incremental approach this roadmap bill that was just passed last week for on climate change in the house it's not clear that it's going to actually when you to say we you mean
0: massachusetts
2: we, we we as in massachusetts okay. should, should once again become where's
0: the, a nationwide leader on cl-
2: so, fighting climate change so again, and we're not right you
0: got to talk to me for a second like an idiot because <laughs> i'm willing to acknowledge that i don't know these things where are we at on votes and um i don't say this rhetorically where are we at on votes, because I really don't know, on some of these issues, and how far do we got to swing? Because I'm with you on Like, I'm with you. Like, environment needs to be – so even if you sure. guys were opposed on the issue, I want to know where we need to go so, as a state. So, uh, again, like, a, w- a, let's not lose the floor for the base. trees, but
2: basically the the, the the gist of it is the roadmap bill by Joan Machino passed the House last Friday. Okay. It's an incremental small step forward that – will achieve net zero carbon emissions by 2050 as well as you know solar credits and grid modernization but ultimately it still has fossil fuel use in massachusetts to 2090 the senate passed a trio the state house i mean that's the state house the state senate passed a trio of climate change bills in january much more aggressive with five-year check-in targets instead of 10 um, and carbon pricing which is the actual mechanism to get uh, carbon emissions down. The point is, whatever comes out of conference committee, right now it's in conference committee. We'll see what comes out and we'll see if the governor signs it, but it's just a baby step forward. We need a lot more. So, what will, you do? so what will
0: you do to change where we're at now and push it forward?
2: I have been an economist who's researched the green economy uh, for the 21st century. Yep. I know the jobs of the future in terms of wind turbine technician, solar panel installer. I was a nationwide spokesperson for the world's largest job site yep. on green jobs. Okay. And so we're not going to get there if we keep applauding ourselves for these small incremental baby steps again the roadmap bill is great I applaud the house for passing it but we have to get much bolder much quicker
0: and would you not vote for those things
1: oh of course I would and, and would you come so out
0: would you commit to because this is where I think we can find yeah. a really interesting place is say because I'm going to ask you a similar question in a second I'm not suggesting that going to win. if you won yep and Andrew was interested in still pushing that those same initiatives which personally I agree with and I'm behind him on would you take those up and would you be willing yeah, to absolutely. champion those?
1: Part of the some of the best legislation that we've ever passed that, you know, that Lou's ever gotten done that I've ever gotten the privilege to work on came from came from constituents. Sure. So, you know, it that's that's the beauty of um you know, being a state rep is that when you have experts in your district, when you have people who know more about you on certain things, you go to those people, you get their opinions. And so that's, you know, that is absolutely, of course I would sit down with Andrew and be like, Hey, listen, how, how can we make the bill better? The, you know, I would, basis. you know, I would ask, I would absolutely solicit advice and be like, Hey, listen, how what, what amendment would uh, what amendment would make this bill better what what language do you like or what what do we like about this bill what do we not like about this bill and let's see if we can improve it to get to a product that we're we're happier on because again the house did a good bill the senate went a little bit further you know and i think i you know i personally like the senate's bill a little bit better um because it does more you know it's yeah. one of those things where the house took like they basically took five things off the menu the senate took all eight oh. and you know it it's when it goes to conference committee. When, a, a, just for the viewers at home, when uh, the House and the Senate pass two different bills dealing with the same thing, you basically you have to go to a conference committee, and six representatives go, go into a room, they iron out the nego- they negotiate, and they try to iron out compromise language. That then they they, they then kick back forward and say, this is what we're going to put on the governor's desk, yes yeah. or no.
0: So Andrew, if you were to win, um would Ted have your ear
1: Of course
2: I have a lot of respect for Ted Look I when did we first meet Ted I think it was at Starbucks It was In 2017 we met uh right there at, at 27 and, and, and I'm not a Starbucks guy but for the record but all right yeah and, and it was, was, well running, was open I'm just joking I'm <laughs> joking it's fine <laughs> yeah, Starbucks, is, to fine. Wait, Starbucks is fine Starbucks yeah, yeah. we, we, we met we on the we board Starbucks halfway. is fine we I'm we joking we had a great great. conversation about the issues and so of course I have a lot of, I have a ton of respect for Ted again I think what we learned tonight is yeah there are some issues we disagree on for sure but the big picture is do you want bold progressive change and if so people who won't stand up to the status quo aren't going to achieve it and, and what I'm trying to say is I'm the candidate in this race, not just as an economist with outside expertise, not just as a progressive, but I'm the candidate with the backbone to combine those, to drive legislation, yes, to build relationships, but relationships are not what's going to help fix climate change or racial injustice. It's people with a backbone.
1: See, my argument is is that, you know— I'm best equipped to deliver that bold progressive change not because I signed a pledge, but because I know exactly where the problems are and how to fix from within the system. It's one of those things where if you, you know, you got something wrong with the with the bathroom, you call a plumber. You know, if you got yep. something wrong with the lights you call an electrician. You got something wrong with the house, you call somebody who's been working in the house and who knows how to fix it.
0: Agree. So here's the one thing I'll say cuz I want the one last question I know our time is. Earlier I asked what the one thing that you totally hated that the other person went with and i I was saving this one for the last was uh and we'll start with you andrew what's one thing that you love about ted that he's done (laughs) or that you support wholly and that if you were to lose like you're gonna lose this theoretically what are you what are you just like all right at least we have this or you're really happy about this and then, Ted, same question for you so, when he's we'll always have Paris moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is, like, very romantic. Yeah. Um, listen, for me, so, I look at it as a constituent, and I'm like... Go for it. Listen, at, sure. least we don't have, at least we don't have, like... Dude, we had a national election where it was like... Uh, like, we could have a c- complete catastrophe, and then we got it. So at least I'm sitting here going, like, well, you know, yeah, we're not in a yep. bad spot.
2: Yeah, so I, I, I want to start by just mentioning, before I talk about Ted, mentioning Lou. Um, Lou has pushed... For especially after the failure of this 2012 ballot uh, initiative for um, expanded end-of-life care and options for people who uh, want a physician-assisted um, end-of-life care, and uh, if I were to win, I want to not just continue that push and follow in his footsteps. That bill has not been successful, um, but I would hope it was even uh, either you know he had some. Uh, part of that, in terms of naming it, uh, uh, naming some part of that for him, I think that is a great initiative, and I want I want that to continue even though he's retiring. Uh, but to Ted's point, you know, Ted has um, uh, some some really good ideas and contacts in the district. I want to respect that. Um, I think Ted's uh, point about uh, train cars and expanding the train co- uh, set, uh, and you know, making the commute more comfortable for commuter rail passengers, I think it's a really good, concrete nuts and bolts idea. Um so I really like
1: that idea. So for me one of the things that I've, you know, when Andrew got to Walpole in 2015 16 yeah sorry 15, it, so he jumped right in. You know what I mean? Andrew got wicked involved really fast and I admire the heck out of that. Um particularly on the issues of housing. Um that's one of those things where I would, you know, I would absolutely I expect Andrew to succeed and excel in terms of uh being able to help change the conversation in whatever role you know if I'm the rep or if he's the rep um, you know his his uh his work on housing has been exceptional and that's that's what I think is uh it stands in his favor aside from being a great family man
2: well thank you Ted and you're a great family man as well and um a, a good son of Sharon a great son of Sharon and I think uh let the best man win and I don't, want end, I don't want
0: to end on anything beyond that. No, I love that, guys. And honestly, bro, I think that this is a, a tribute to the fact that when we have two great candidates and we put them in a situation where we're not going to limit their time or tell them what they can and can't say, it turns actually into <laughs> a better conversation than even a debate, right? So in fairness, and thank you for uh, being so patient with the technical difficulties. No, thanks for having thanks us. Thanks for cool. having us. All this right. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Appreciate Appreciate you. Thank you, Sharon. Appreciate you.
1: Appreciate it.
0: Right. Awesome. Thank you.